Recorded live in the Phantasmo Lounge, high atop the Jonathan Corbis building in beautiful Midtown Portsmouth, Virginia, it's Phantasmo After Dark, with your host, Rob Floyd, and co-host, Phyllis Floyd. Tonight's topic, the black hole. The most destructive force in the universe, Harry. Nothing can escape it, not even light. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the old podcast. Hey, Phyllis. Hey, Rob. Tonight, we're going to be talking about one of our favorite science fiction movies. Before we get into some good horror stuff for October coming up, I say one of our favorite science fiction movies. It is. It is. Not everybody's favorite science fiction movie. (laughs) I would imagine not. But the often maligned, misunderstood Disney's The Black Hole, Disney's first PG movie. You know, it's it's an odd little film. And I say odd because of the time this thing came out. It came out two years after Star Wars hit big. And Star Wars was still riding the wave of popularity for two years after it came out. I mean, hell, you know, it's it's hard to relate to it now where we're in the age of a movie comes out and it already has a DVD release date or a streaming release date or whatever when it hits theaters. Back then, Star Wars came out and it played at theaters for over a year. Right. You know, there was no home video market. There, there was no directed cable channel services like as like it is now. I mean, I remember Star Wars playing at the Circle Six for a year. They had a one year anniversary, and it was still playing and still drawing crowds. You know? Right, right. It was amazing. So, riding the wave of, you know, the sci fi resurgence popularity with Star Wars, the Black Hole came out same year, nineteen seventy nine, that Star Trek: The Motion Picture came out. Mm-hmm. Both kind of similar in tone. And in, in atmosphere and the way they kind of move along. The thing that really hurt it is coming in after Star Wars. Yeah. It's not an action-adventure movie. It's more of a sci-fi thriller. Yeah, it is. But it's got enough in it that it's got a it lo- feels like it should be a little bit action-adventure. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, got some, it's got some action in it. It's got a little action-adventure in it. Some laser battles. and mm-hmm. But it's got a lot of drama and a lot of suspense and you know about what's going to happen. Right. Uh, it's gorgeous. Oh, my God. It's a beautiful movie. No kidding. The visuals are, are just fantastic in it. We'll get into that in a minute. Mm-hmm. But what I was saying about the time it came out, if it had come out a year before Star Wars, I think it'd be more popular. Right. Because mm-hmm. you didn't have that yardstick of Star Wars as far as science fiction movies at that yeah. point. Yeah. You had Logan's Run, which was fantastic. You know, 2001 A Space Odyssey. And a handful of, you know, a handful of other sci-fi movies. But nothing like Star Wars at that point. Now, the real interesting thing about Black Hole for me is people always say, what well, was Disney's reaction to Star Wars? And nay, nay, I say. Well, that's because it came out after Star Wars. It yeah. was released after Star yeah. Wars. But, they but wasn't it written yeah. before? Yeah, well, they started writing the script for it in 74. And the intention was it was to be like an Irwin Allen disaster movie in outer space. It wasn't supposed to be a sci-fi adventure swashbuckling type movie. It was supposed to be a disaster movie in outer space Mm -hmm. initially. Mm -hmm. It underwent tons of rewrites over the years leading up to its final release. And because of Star Wars, it drastically changed from that. But that was the original idea. And it was um, the original shooting script, I think, was Space Probe 1 or Space Station 1. And it went through various title changes. Yeah. Uh, over the years, too. And I thought that was kind of cool. That would be kind of an interesting uh, take on it. Yeah. Because it's got a little bit of that in it. It Towards does. the end. Well, it's weird because I know that even I have kind of fallen maybe victim to the 
not victim, whatever. I have I have kind of fallen into the it's kind of Disney's answer to Star Wars because of the timing and because Vincent's in there. It's oh, a yeah. little bit like R two, blah blah blah. Oh, it it was but, kind of Disney's answer to Star Wars in in because of the way it was kind of tailored, rewritten after. Out. Yeah, you but know. the thing is, it's not. I mean, it it is no Star Wars by any means whatsoever. But it's also it's not... It's not even trying to be. No, and it's not trying to be. It's also not fantasy. I mean, Star Wars, to me, is not science fiction. Star Wars is... Space fantasy. Space fantasy. Yeah. This is science fiction. Yeah. Well, another thing, too, that's really kind of cool about this, too, is you look at the cast. Mm-hmm. They're all seasoned veteran actors. Yeah. And middle-aged actors. They weren't young, hot yeah, faces, you know, to draw that kind of crowd. They were just, this was telling a story and make, you know, making a movie and telling mm-hmm. a serious story. And they got good, solid actors. And like I said, most of them were like middle-aged. I mean, you had, I think the youngest one was Joseph Bottoms. Is and Charlie? Uh, yeah, Mr. Pizer, yeah. Pizer. And then you had uh, Robert Forrester, mm-hmm. Yvette Mimeo, Ernest Borgnine, mm-hmm. Anthony Perkins, mm-hmm. and Maximilian Schell. Right. And then the voices of Vincent and, and oh, old Bob, God. Roddy McDowell, and Slim Pickens. Right. You know, so you had these good, solid, seasoned veteran actors. And like I said, not the hot young faces, and, you know. And you had this this interesting story and that as it – and it develops really quickly, too. It it's not a slow burn, either. No. It, boom, starts right off. This thriller about – Okay, what's really going on here? What's this guy all about? What's he doing? What's mm-hmm. going to happen to these people, you know? Yep. I think it pulls it off really well. I mean, I really enjoyed it. We've watched it many times. Now. Yeah, many times. But actually two or three times in the past year, really, I think. Yeah. We watched it twice recently for the podcast because mm-hmm. we watched <laughs> we actually watched it about 2 weeks ago with the intention of doing a podcast and something came up and then I ended up doing the podcast that Kiss Meets the Phantom. With Tony. Tony. Mm-hmm. So we watched it again uh, just a little while ago to kind of refresh. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, every bit is enjoyable. Didn't get bored watching it. I wasn't like, oh, God, I just watched this, you know. And I think a lot of that has to do with the score is amazing. Yeah, the One music thing. the music is beautiful. The visuals are yeah. astounding. It's it's gorgeous. It it's is. just beautiful. It is. And Vincent is amazing. Roddy makes Vincent. And oh, yeah. Vincent is just I can't tell you how much Vincent is amazing. <laughs> and it's not because, oh, he's that cutesy robot. He's not a cutesy robot. Yes, he's cute. He's At first glance, he's cute. The, the design. But he's awesome. But yeah. He's he, a badass. Yeah. He's an amazing he's, little robot. And he's got these great witty remarks like you would expect from Roddy. Yeah. And Roddy's delivery is what makes right. that, you know. Right. Uh, it's funny thing is he and Slim are not in the credits. Which is bizarre to me. Yeah. Which was just to leave the mystery about them. Are they really robots? You know, kind of thing. <laughs> Nobody could mistake that voice. Okay, I mean, Slim as well, I guess, but really Roddy, come yeah, on. Yeah, but Slim's, though, they do modulate and bring it up an octave or two. Yeah, well, Roddy's has been modulated a little bit. A little but bit, but not, not much. much, no. But his his intonation is so different from, yeah. from people. I'm hoping know? we can I can find some clips so we can insert in here of some of his lines, because he had some of the best lines. There are three basic types, Mr. Pizer. The wills, the won'ts, and the can'ts. The wills accomplish everything. The won'ts oppose everything. And the can'ts won't try anything. Really did. Love Vincent. <laughs> yeah. Oh, now the, the score, the soundtrack, was John Barry, who okay. did right. 
I don't know, a lot of the Bond soundtracks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, and this is real similar to the Moonraker soundtrack, I think. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, you know, I didn't think about yeah. that, but I I can hear it, yeah. But it's fantastic, really good moody music, and it, it really sets the, the tone, I think, of, of the movie from the beginning, you know. Yeah. Um, Speaking of the beginning. Yeah. This actually has an overture, which you have not heard in film for 40 years or more. And this this and Star Trek The Motion Picture were, I think, the last two films to have overtures. An overture is just, you know, a pre-musical sequence. They used to do like in operas and things before the actual production starts. Kind mm-hmm. of like, okay, get your seats. You know, <laughs> here's yeah. the music's playing. And here's the main school. Yeah. Like the that. lights have flashed. Take your seats. Here's the music yeah. as you sit down. <laughs> so, it's, yeah, it's a little bit. Sometimes it'll have bits of the you know different parts of the score in mm-hmm. it and you know, leading up to, boom, here's the big score. You yeah. Know? And it's a beautiful score. It really is. Also, too, I think this has one of the longest computer-generated credit sequence up, okay. until, up to that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, they, after that was Tron. So yeah. <laughs> that all goes out the window. <laughs> The effects in this were fantastic, and it's a lot of different things that went into this. Yeah. Effects-wise, least of which is the matte paintings. Yeah. Which they did 150 matte paintings, which is I think is the most ever done for yeah, production. Yeah, that's astounding. And they're beautiful. I think they said in comparison, you usually have like 20 to 30 matte paintings in a film. Uh, Less than that. Yeah. I think the film that had the second highest to this was Empire, and they had like 20 or 30. Wow. Okay. So other films had less than that. Yeah. Usually. So 150. Star Wars, the original Star Wars had like seven, I think, or something like that. Yeah. But yeah, they're gorgeous matte paintings. And a lot of times, sometimes you can tell, sometimes you're just, you can't, you're just they look that good, you know. Yeah. And you're just caught up in the the epicness of the scene. Yeah, very yeah. true. Well, I mean, a, a really good matte painting you shouldn't notice. Yeah, and obviously that's true. in in some films you really do. And like Rob said, and sometimes in this you you definitely see it, but Yeah. There are moments in this where completely oblivious. Yeah. No clue. I mean, and and I went into it looking <laughs> because I was oh, yeah. so enamored of the fact that these were all matte. Now, one of the things too talking about the effects is they were trying to rent ILM mm-hmm. to do the effects, but they couldn't because ILM was tied up at this time. They weren't as big a studio, you know, effects studio, so they were tied up working on another film. So Disney had to rely on their in-house effects guys, and these are all old school guys. Been worked on tons of films before this, so you know, again, seasoned veterans of their craft, right? And so they. They made it happen. Mm-hmm. They had to develop their own motion capture camera because ILM had developed that, I believe, and were using it. So they had to make their own, mm-hmm. and it works flawlessly. You know. Yep. This was the I think one of the last in-house effects movies, too, mm-hmm. where the the studio that made it did everything for it. They didn't farm out the effects to an, an effects studio because after Star Wars and a few other movies, effects just effects studios started popping up and there's you know tons of them around now right one of the coolest effects they did for this and if you watch we watched the dvd that was put out uh the disney dvd and it has a little documentary on on the end of it which we need to check into the blu-ray yeah because the dvd we've got is the quality's pretty good yeah but it's not it's got a few scenes that look kind of grainy so i really want to see that blu-ray and see if it's super restored and really sharp and crisp yeah well you know what we should have done the second time we watched it recently we should have watched it on disney plus just to see 
Because it's on Disney+. Oh, Plus. yeah. Okay. Well, you know, maybe after this, we'll just check a couple scenes out to see. Yeah. Because this is something you need to see this as crystal clear as possible to, to appreciate it. But one of the greatest effects was the star field behind the Cygnus. Right. Now, that today, that would be done all computer, all digital. You know, somebody sitting at a laptop doing it. Yeah. But they didn't have that technology back then. And the effects guy, I can't remember his name, but his son was working with him on it, who later went on to do a lot of effects and stuff. And I think he had done, he had worked on some before that. I think he'd actually worked on Star Wars. But he didn't want just a black background with stars. You know, he wanted some color to it, some richness to the, the scene. So they painted this backdrop black and with some blue and some, uh, you know, some other subtle colors all through it. And to get everything to really pop, what they did is they went behind it and just poked holes, randomly poked different size holes mm-hmm. all over this thing. And I think he said it took him three days. Yeah. Three days to do. Cause and the then thing, backlit it, right? Yeah. And then backlit it with, with huge Klieg light. I mean, big, powerful stage lights. Mm-hmm. So they really popped and shone through. And of course this thing was huge this screen they they did all this stuff through and man it looks fantastic you would never watch watching the film you would never think they poked holes through a sheet basically and backlit it it's just gorgeous and i can't use that word enough on this film of just how beautiful this thing is to look at now it's this isn't going to be for everybody because people that have weaned on star wars uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and big, big budget action, over-the-top action adventure sci-fi movies. It'll probably be kind of boring. But if you like just good film like we do, like I said, the visuals are fantastic. The story's good. The acting is top-notch. You know, that list of actors that I rattled off that are in it. And really, that's it. It's not a huge cast. It's just them and boom, and the robots. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the robots, we talked about Vincent. Yep, didn't yeah. talk about Maximilian. Yeah, and when old Bob is the same type of robot as Vincent, but he's old, battered, and beat up and used. He's an older version. An older model, yeah. But Maximilian is Dr. Reinhardt, the bad guy. It's his servant robot, more or less. Right. And he's he's imposing figure. He is very imposing. He doesn't speak at all. He just has this one, I don't know, red eye. Yeah. Kind of like a, it's not... It's not an eyeball eye. No, it's like a visor. Like a visor, yeah. Like, yeah. And he floats. And that's the thing, these robots, too. They don't roll on the floor or walk or like walk. the Star Wars robots. Yeah. They float. They, mm-hmm. they you know, hover, which is really a cool effect. And it's done really well because it doesn't look like they're hanging on wires. Right. And sometimes they were and sometimes they weren't. Well, I'll give it away. Go I mean, because you're all going, you know, every time you see something like that float, you're looking for the wires. Yep. You're looking for the wires. You know, and, and. These guys were smart enough to figure that out, that people are going to be looking for it. And how can they hide it? Mm-hmm. Because technology back then, you had to, they had to be on wires and they yeah. couldn't digitize them out. Like now you could put them on a rope. Yeah. And, and then just computer it digitize it out. It doesn't matter. Back then they had the thin wires to hang them from. Yep. And they had to either paint them the same color as the background or just light it in a way that the light wouldn't reflect off the wire. Right. So sometimes the wires are coming up from the top, but sometimes, especially for the robots, so you wouldn't see the wire. They would build the set upside down mm-hmm. and hang the robots from wire from underneath them. Yep. Hang the robots upside down. Yeah. And film it upside down. Yeah. And then it would look right side up when yep. they 
But the robots, of course, are hanging from the wire underneath it. So if you're looking for a wire on top, you won't see it. Yeah. And why would you think to look underneath for a wire? You wouldn't. You wouldn't. It, it that's looks a amazing. Genius. It's a genius. Yeah. And, you know, I haven't really gone back and looked for it either, but I, I don't see to. it. I started you know? to this time, yeah. what? but I didn't catch it. And then I stopped looking. Yeah. So. Well, I think one thing is because the effects are done so well, there's nothing that jars me into looking for it. Mm-hmm. Like I don't see a glimpse of a wire and go, oh, okay, now I got to look every time. You yeah. Know? yeah. Another way they did it is sometimes when the robots were just, you all only saw them from one angle, like the front or whatever. Yeah. They were on a stick, a rod mm-hmm. coming out the back. Yeah. And either I, the actor or an effects guy was down below or, you know, just pushing them along like mm-hmm. a puppet almost. Mm-hmm. So they didn't need any wires, which is another just, you talk about low budget effect. Simple. Yeah. But it works like a champ. Oh, oh, another thing. The sentries, the stormtrooper stand-ins, basically, the sentry robot, the guns that they have, mm-hmm. those double blasters, like one on top and one on bottom. Mm-hmm. Star-Lord from Guardians of the Galaxy stole that. Yeah. Yeah, people were going, oh, Star-Lord's blasters, blah, blah, blah. And when I saw it in the theater, I'm like, yeah, it's the black hole guns. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which there is a kit. You can get a resin kit of that. Make your own. I saw. Of course you can. On eBay. That's awesome. Yeah, I looked at it. <laughs> but yeah, so anyway, the plot now, we haven't even talked about the plot. You're right. We haven't. Hey, guess what? There's a black hole in it. There is a black hole. And you know, it starts (laughs) off boom, right? The beginning. I mean, boom. Hey, look, a black hole. Yeah. The movie starts and we meet the crew of the Palomino Mm -hmm. and they're coming right upon this black hole in space. And apparently their mission is the same, you know, the Star Trek mission. Right. To find new life in outer space. Mm -hmm. And they come across this anomaly, this black hole and this big spaceship on the edge of the black hole, not getting sucked in. And they go through the records and files and they find out it's the Cygnus. Mm-hmm. It was an Earth ship that's been missing for years. And Kate. Yeah, it just so happens that Kate's father served on this ship and he's been yeah. missing with the ship for, what, 20 years or something? Yeah. So they decide to dock on the ship and explore. Mm-hmm. And they they get on the ship and they meet Dr. Reinhardt, mm-hmm. who thought was lost. And he tells a story about how everybody on the ship went out. At different times or whatever. Yeah, just... well, they were ordered home, so he he told all the crew to go home. So he says. Yeah, and they got lost along the way or something. So he left was left on the ship by himself, and he built those robots to help run the ship and to keep him company. Yes, he refused to leave his his experiment. He's somehow found a way to keep his ship, the Cygnus, stationary right. just outside the black hole. It's not yeah. being pulled into like the gravitational field. It creates some kind of force fields or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. It's not being pulled in, but it's there so he can monitor the black hole and send probes into it and stuff like that. Yeah, and he wants to he wants get, to go, learn more about what's in yeah. the black hole. He yeah. wants to find out what's on the other side. He wants to go into and beyond yeah. the black hole. So he's created these sentry robots. I don't know why he created guard robots, but he created these sentry robots that have blasters. And then these other robots that turns out they're not robots in these cloaked, these gray cloaks with mm-hmm. mirror, like a, yeah, mirror, silver, face. just blank, like Cobra Commander faces. <laughs> right. Which would be a neat costume to do because they make those <laughs> yeah. masks like that now. Yeah, true. That you can get. Anyway, it turns out, spoilers, that these robots in the cloaks are actually the crew mm-hmm. that have died along the way and he reanimated or maybe he killed them intentionally. I can't remember exactly. But uh, I think he probably did and uh, has kept alive. And they're basically mindless drones running the ship. 
Right. And the ship is huge. Yeah. Huge. And it's just gorgeous from the outside when they go around it and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, there's one scene where they have a, when the crew from the Palomino shows up and they have to get on this little, little cart thing that takes them down this track to get to the bridge, I guess. And Oh, yeah. It's like a roller coaster. It's really cool looking, but you get to see some some. Oh yeah, they well you can. It's like clear on top, so they can see outside. Yeah, in the space. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it's very very cool. Looks neat. But then the rest of the movie is them discuss talking with Reinhardt, finding out what he's doing, him telling them his intentions, and then them figuring out. Oh, he's not telling the truth about everything. We gotta get the hell out of here. And then yeah, he's like, no, you're not leaving. Even though Anthony Perkins the whole time. His character wants to stay yeah, and study with Reinhardt, with this, yeah. and he doesn't see anything wrong. He keeps negating everything they say. Like, look, he's doing the stuff, and so how do you know? You know, he's just trying to get knowledge. He's not what he's done is not that bad, which sounds a lot like kind of lot of stuff that's going on right now. Yeah, he's a genius. He can do anything. Yeah. Anyway, but he gets what's coming to him. Indeed. Yeah. Now, one of the weird things about this movie is Kate, Yvette Mimio's character. Somehow has an ESP link with Vincent with a robot. Well, th- and that's I think the ve- robot was developed yeah. to be able to do that. Yeah, but I, they never really go into it. They don't. No, they don't go into it. They do say that that the Vincent line, whatever, was created so that they could have that link. And I think it was so they could communicate back to their maybe even back to Earth or something from long distance. I don't know how long distance it would go, but whatever. But yeah, so that it's quite interesting that, you know, human can communicate telepathically with a robot. Yeah. But hey, it happens. Yeah. You know, where they could have just had like communicators or something. But, but well, this way nobody point, else can hear what yeah, she's... Well, and at yeah. one point the communications get cut off and yeah. that's the only way she can talk to Vincent. So there you go. And again... Plot device. Vincent is a badass. Vincent is a badass. You know, another thing about this film, there was a massive amount of merchandising for this film. No kidding. For it, for it, and they expected it to do. And there's new merchandise now. Yeah. Well, because it's developed a cult following. Yes. I'll get into the new merchandise in just a second. They expected it to do incredibly well, and the Star Wars merchandise machine was off the charts. Right. So they put out a lot of stuff, which. Disney's got to jump on the bandwagon, too, because, you know, the mouse. Which didn't. The movie didn't, it didn't bomb, but it didn't do well. And the merchandise sank yeah. and didn't do well. Now, some of that merchandise you try to find on eBay. Some of it's pretty high. Some of it you can find it in moderate. It's not as popular as some other mo- sci-fi movie merchandise, but mm-hmm. it's up and down. Yeah. You might get a bargain, but most of the time you can pay a fair price or, or better these days. Well, for my birthday, I got two Black Hole board games from Rob and Oh my god. <laughs> They're amazing. Well you the are first welcome. one the first one is is more of a spin the thing and move around the board. And it the board is beautiful and yeah. the game is it's cute and it's fun. The second one, astounding. <laughs> it was unplayed. The pieces weren't even punched. Uh, it was amazing. It was cool. It had been opened, but it hadn't been played. Because yeah, the pieces were still on the, the cardboard to be punched out. It was fantastic. And yes, I punched it out, and we play it. Oh, we've it's played amazing. it a couple times already. I love it. It's really cool. You you get a card, like you have a hand of cards, and you're supposed to just have the card to match the next space you move symbol to. on the board yeah. that you're supposed to move to. So you have to plan ahead a few spaces. So it's not real difficult, but sometimes you get caught. Yeah, it's it's a luck of the draw. Really, it really is. But the board is 
a beautiful board. Yeah. It's really just a paper board. Yeah, so well, I made a copy thing. of it and I'm going to go get it laminated. <laughs> it's not, it's not a f- cardboard, like a game board where you just, it's, you fold it out into two pieces. Yeah. Like a lot of you know, most games right. from that era. It's a paper mat yeah. that you unfold like a map. Yeah. And it takes up almost a whole card table yeah. size. That's how big the board is once you unfold it. It's, yeah. And it's it's gorgeous. It is amazing. I got a really it's good... It's a pretty quick fire game. It is. Too. It's fun, though. But I got, a, I got a good scan of it so I could print it out in color really big and, and get it printed. So Laminate it. And get it laminated. Yeah, so I'm going to... I'll give yeah. it to Rob. He can put it on the Facebook page when yeah. he puts up his photo album. So you guys Definitely. can have and, a copy if you want. And the, the boxes, the box art for the games are Beautiful. great. Yeah. But aside from the games, there's plenty yeah. of other merchandise. Oh, yeah. Lunchboxes well, yeah, and the toys. Lunchbox was, was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. There were action figures, of course. There were three-quarter inch action figures, mm-hmm. which years ago when I was a kid, I had the Vincent and the Maximilian. Uh, I don't know what happened to them. I don't know. I need a squishy Vincent because I don't know. I just do. <laughs> and then there was uh, the Amigo actually the 12-inch action figures mm-hmm. of the Black Hole. The humans, I don't know if they did the robots, which I don't know why they wouldn't have, but who knows? Yeah, and they did those. There was all kinds of other stuff. There were serial premiums. There was coloring books. There were there was a comic strip that I think Jack Kirby did, believe it or not. Really? I'd like to see that. Yeah, I, I've got a link to that somewhere. <laughs> I'll have to find it and post that. All kinds of other stuff out there. And if you go on eBay, you can see it all. By the way, I have looked on the Amazon to see if we could get the Blu-ray for the Black Hole, and it's not anywhere on Amazon. Look on eBay. So it may be on eBay, it's possibly. It's like $30, 40 on okay, eBay. Okay, yeah. So anyway, if you want to see this, you may have to see it on Disney+. Plus. You yeah. know, Disney likes to hoard their movies If you want to give Disney any money. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of merchandising, though, now, they're just recently, mm-hmm. like this year, I believe, they came out. It may have been last with, year. With, uh, it might have been Walgreens exclusives. I think it I, was. I think. A Vincent and a Maximilian. I think there was an old Bob. There was it? an old Bob, but you can only get that at in an exclusive online oh. with Vincent in a okay. two-pack. Mm-hmm. The Maximilian and the Vincent at Walgreens were individuals, and they were quite a bit bigger scale. The originals were like three-quarter-inch scale. Mm-hmm. These are more like, they'd be comparable to like eight-inch Mego figures, I think. Okay. Well, whatever the case, Yeah, and these beautiful. are fantastic. When moving parts and accessories and different arms you can put they're on the gorgeous. robots. Yeah, they are. Oh, there's something else. Uh, I've got them out on display right now <laughs> in the other room. I think they're still available at some Walgreens if you you know get out and take a look. If not, you can get them online. They're I'm all sure. over eBay for all manner of prices right now. So you can check on that. I think that's... Yeah, I don't think they've come out with anything else new that I'm aware of. Oh, they, also, they had model kits back in the day, the merchandising, the events, and the Maximilian model kits mm-hmm. that you can still get for... I don't know. I'm not going to say. They're all over. The prices are all over the board. But, you know, unless you find them in a state sale, luck into something like that. Yeah. Good luck. Oh, one of the things um, Robert Forster was saying, and well, I think other people have said this too, but the script, the final script they were given, it was kind of sold to Forrester, the idea of doing it, mm-hmm. as 20,000 Leagues in Outer Space. <laughs> Which it's more like that than Star Wars. Yeah. You know, it really is. Yeah. With Reinhardt replacing the Captain Nemo type character, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, you know, this is one I would love to see this on the big screen somewhere. Yeah, that would be awesome. Probably never going to happen. It's a Disney film, but well, that's it would true. be awesome. You know, where we could we could put up a big screen in the backyard and get the uh, <laughs> show it for ourselves. The projector, you know, yeah, that would be cool. 
That would be awesome. Well, yeah, we do have that screen that we made for that burlesque show out in the garage. Remember mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. Which actually is too big and needs to be cut down by about a third. <laughs> I was hosting the burlesque show on Halloween. However long many years ago. ago. Eight years ago or more in Norfolk on Halloween night. And I came up with this idea. There was nothing else really going on for Halloween. The Narrow hadn't started doing their movies, their Halloween movies that I'd tried to get them to do for years, and they didn't, that they do now at Halloween. So there was this local production theater on 35th Street in downtown, the venue on 35th Street. Mm-hmm. And I had hosted burlesque shows there before. So it is a Halloween night. Let's do a burlesque show and show a Halloween, uh, horror movie, and we'll MST3K it, and I'll get somebody else to do it with me. I got uh, Alfredo Torres. Mm-hmm. Who was a local podcast celebrity and had been on the radio around here and a all around good guy. And the movie we decided to show was uh, The Undertaker and His Pals, which was a truly awful film, yeah, but no love it to death. Yeah. But we had to figure out a way to show it because they didn't have a screen. So right. I, we researched and found a local place we'd get this material that was comparable to movie screen mm-hmm. for showing it. But I had to make a way so we could put it on the stage, but not block the stage so the girls could perform. Right. And it wasn't, we could have, I guess, taken it down and put it up, but that would have taken too much time and awkward. I wanted things to move smooth. So I got enough material and made this framework that was as wide as the opening of the curtains of the stage. And this is a small stage at this place anyway, but it's bigger than, wider than the movie screen needed to be. And made it so you could roll it up like a window curtain. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, after they performed... Just let it fall down mm-hmm. and we can show the movie. So that screen is still out. We've only used that one time. <laughs> well, we should find a reason to use it. And it's still out in the garage. But to project the mo- the dimensions of it for the, for the projection, it's wider than it needs to be. Yeah. Well, for better the, than too short. Yeah. So maybe we'll cut it down at some point. So it'll, you know, it'll work better. But that was going way off base to talk about nothing that relates to this movie. <laughs> we need to find a place to show the black hole on that screen for, for us. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway. Yeah. But there's that. Yeah. What was the um the quote you read me earlier that... Oh, what Forrester so, said? Yeah. was just really, yeah. really neat. This was... Uh, he's talking about, you know, working on a film like this and how the collaborative effort of working on films and and that. And he says... And this goes with any film he's worked on, but it was specifically when he was talking about this movie being interviewed. He said, in relation to working on a film, you've got to satisfy everybody on the set. Everybody is your boss. Everybody needs something from you. And when you hear action, you get a chance to deliver your best effort in making the shot work. Because you're trying to build a roller coaster track, something that will carry the audience down and up and around the curves. You owe something to everybody. And if at the end of that ride... You aren't believable. The audience won't be with you at the end of the shot. And I'm like, that's, that's a really cool way of looking at it. Yeah. You know, he's not like, it's all about me. Right. It's like, okay, I owe every something to everybody working on this film because they're all depending on me and each other to make this thing happen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's really, really cool. true. I like it. Because if one person working on the film, you know, if one aspect of it, if somebody drops a ball, it ruins everything you know the whole shot if the lighting guy isn't doing it right well the shot's gonna look like crap if the camera guy isn't doing it right you know working the camera right holding it right the shot's gonna look like crap right if the actor's not doing his part the scene's not gonna work or be believable like he said you yeah, know everything's so it's, gotta pull together yeah and every every job involved if, if it's all gotta be working in unison and working together to make it work you know and there's a lot of stuff that works on this one so they did a good job yeah the, like I, I keep going back to the effects and all 
And I'm a big old school effects. I love old school in camera on set effects. Yeah. And especially like this when you can't see them. Right. Right. Well, they're, they're done well. So, yeah, yeah. You know, it is. They're done incredibly well. And it's just beautiful. I don't know if they talk about, well, the one scene where the meteorite is rolling down the center. Yeah. Where a lot of people or a lot of people tribute that particular kind of scene to Indiana Jones. Yeah. I guess it was really actually done here first. Yep. This came out before that scene in Indiana Jones. Yeah. yeah. And this is massive and yeah. terrifying, but beautiful. Yeah, there's this a... giant meteorite rolling down the center of the ship. Oh, yeah. Coming right at them. And, and well, there's a scene towards the end yeah, where they're starting to go into the black hole and... I, you know, I guess there was a meteor shower in the black hole. It started to pull it towards them. Yeah. And, of course, it hits the Cygnus. hits the ship. And it's crashing in different parts. And one of the biggest pieces hits down the center line of the ship and is rolling through the ship. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to walk across this bridge in front of it. And, of course, they stumble and fall. And they get up and they get out just in time. But it is really, yeah. And, you know, that's another thing. It was a big yeah, you know, plexiglass plaster ball that they put lights inside. Mm-hmm. Amazing. It looked great. Yeah. And shot it on miniatures and then filmed, then matted the actors in front of it. Yeah. You know, it was beautiful. Yeah. I didn't say anything about this, except maybe one time in the movie, but there were a whole lot of things happening to that ship and holes getting ripped into it. And how come nobody got sucked out into space? Just asking. Well, they did. Oh, they almost did at one point. That scene, I'm thinking the meteor was so big kind of like yeah. it was filling the gap that it was making okay, as it was coming towards that. them yeah but the other scene where they're going through the the garden yeah section that one they did get that one they did and they were starting to freeze yeah and the air I was being pulled that. up yeah. yeah so that one they did yeah there were a couple other ones where i was like hey wait a minute wouldn't that have yeah <laughs> aren't they just into the you know wide open yeah. space there i don't know but that's okay they were in fact robert forrester one interview i was reading was talking about in that scene Everybody had goggles on except the actors, you know, because <laughs> yeah. all that stuff was flying everywhere. And, and they sprayed them down with this this misty stuff or this to look like frost before they went in to sh- yeah. shoot. And he said there was a scene where he didn't have his head down or he raised his head up and a piece of flying debris hit him. And if you look at the end, he's got a scar over his eyebrow. Oh, wow. There. And that actually happened in that scene. <laughs> and they had to give him a couple stitches. Man. Uh, but you don't see it, the stitches in the la- in that last scene. Yeah, you know? yeah. But, you know, it's like, hey, you know, you do what you do to make the scene happen. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, we've, we've talked a bit about this and we, we haven't gotten to the end yet. Yeah. I don't really know what to say about the well, end. Well, the end, well, I'll tell you what happened. They didn't Before know we how talk to about end it. it. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't know how to end it. And they state that in yeah, different do. interviews. The director and other people, says they when they started shooting, they didn't have an ending. Right. And they figure, well, we got 130 days to shoot or whatever. We'll you know, come we'll, up with something. We'll come up with something. Well, they came up with two something. Yeah. I wish they'd have gone with the other one. Yeah. The one ending that they thought of, when they go into the black hole, because it's like nobody knows what's going to happen. So right. they had to come up with something. So they have all these effects. And some of the effects are, like I said, are gorgeous of them What happened? Them going in the black hole. And some are just classic camera effects that you you know they're going to use. But... Once they get in there, what they see in their mind or what they actually physically see, mm-hmm. what happens, what we see happens is partly it looks like they uh, they go into, go through hell. Yeah. And literally Dante's Inferno version of hell. Right. With fire and brimstone and the cloaked figures walking around and 
you so see that's Max. That's really that's really yeah. We uh, see Reinhardt, Reinhardt's house. floating in space in this red background, and yeah. he's got like long gray beard and long gray hair. Like I don't know why. Yeah, he knows. And then he Maximilian's floating through space, and he they connect. Mm-hmm. And then like the camera zooms in when it zooms back out, you see Reinhardt's eyes in Maximilian's shell, like they've merged, they've standing merged. on top of this massive yeah, like precipice. Yeah, and he's trapped uh, inside in Maximilian. He can't escape. And then it flips and the bright light in the sky gets brighter and brighter and brighter. And then we're going through this glass corridor, this tunnel, which is supposed to be maybe like heaven. Mm-hmm. And then this bright light at the bright end of the light tunnel. figure with long hair and flowing robes like an angel you see kind of goes down through the tunnel. And there's a big bright light. And then we get the Palomino crew. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, like they've come through it. And... They're just looking at each other like we made it, and they're in the space. They're in the ship they were in, and they're in space. And then in front of them is like an eclipse, a uh, planet with a you know light around it or whatever. And you don't know what it is. Yeah, and, and then credits roll, and that's how it ends. So it's bizarre. It's like, okay, did they die and go to heaven? Yeah. <laughs> did they just come through the, the black hole and it shot them at somewhere else in space, like a right. wormhole kind of thing? Yeah. You know, which is what I'm. Led to believe. Yeah, I kind of think so. And all that stuff that is what they just saw in their head as they were going through it. Yeah. Who knows? Because the filmmakers don't even know. Yeah. The one ending that they, one of the writers came up with. Well, uh, it wasn't one of the writers. The it was guy. one of the special effects One of the effects guys, guys came yeah. up with. Yeah, yeah. Which they actually apparently shot. Yeah, they But decided it. not to use was mm-hmm. there's that shot where the camera goes and focuses on Kate and you get into her eye and it gets bigger and bigger and the camera's getting closer to her eye. Mm-hmm. And then we goes into black into something else. Well, that was going to go into her eye, and then it was going to pull away from her eye, but it wasn't going to be her eye anymore. It's going to be like David's eye from the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, and pull away from David's eye, and you see David, and then you see God, and you know the their fingers, their fingers touching. almost touching. Yeah. It pulls away, and you see the Sistine Chapel, and then it pans down, and Kate is standing in the corridor there, looking up at the Sistine Chapel, and that was going to be how it ended, or something like. Yeah, I, like that. Something weird, which yeah. would have been weird, but I, I, they felt yeah, okay. Too, too many religious overtones. Yeah. They didn't want to go that way, you know. Uh, which would have been a very interesting ending. Yeah. Oh, another thing too. Now, this, like I said, this is Disney's first PG movie. Yeah. They didn't want to put the Disney logo on it. If you look, there's the Disney logo isn't oh, anywhere yeah, it's on not. it mm-hmm. because you know people were still associating Disney with family friendly kids films. Yeah. So it, it was under the Buena Vista logo, right. which was Disney's kind of live action arm at that yeah, point. I yeah. think. Well, I don't have any clue what the ending of this really means, but I am surprisingly okay with that. I don't know why. You would think it would bother me more. <laughs> yeah. Because normally if I don't understand the ending of a movie, I would not like the movie. I would feel like I was ripped off at the end and be like, why did I watch this? I don't get it. But in this case, it doesn't bother me. I'm not really sure why. I guess because the rest of it was just so good. The rest of the movie is so good, and 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 it's fun. Yeah, and it's enjoyable, and like I said, it's beautiful to look at. That up until that point, it and it doesn't feel like you just get dropped. You know, like some endings, yeah. it's like what the it hell feels, happened? It feels like it ended, kind of. Yeah, sorta. it feels like it ends, but you want a. I need you to know a little more. bit more. Yeah. Like, yeah. okay, they, they made it out safe, but now where are they? Right. You know, you know they made it out safe. Yeah. So I'm okay with you that. You know that they did and Reinhardt didn't. Yeah. So, yeah. Like I said, so I'm okay with the yeah. ending like you. I would like to have known where did they end up? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that would be nice. But apparently no one knows the answer to this question, including the people who worked on the film. Yeah. So 
your guess is as good as ours. Now, I think maybe next next episode, because we're gearing up for Halloween here, the next couple episodes are definitely going to be horror movies. Okay. Because it's October's coming up. And yeah. it seems like typically a lot of our... A lot of people that listen like the horror movie episodes more <laughs> anyway. Yeah, well, I mean, I, that's kind of our, our yeah, that's bread kinda, and butter, yeah, That's kind of the, the gig, mostly. So we'll do some more horror movies, too, after that. But definitely October is going to be some. Yeah. And then maybe the next one we do is going to be along these lines as far as the movie's gorgeous and a lot of fun, but the ending leaves you going, what? Mm, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but Although I'm not going to drop the do, name in case we decide not to do, do it. We do have one that we have to do. We'll talk about it later, but there's one that we have to get done because there's an anniversary this year. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and a special guest. And a special guest. Host so we need via to get satellite. Yeah. Anyhow, so some interesting things coming up. So we yeah. need to get some get work done. Oh, there was one thing I was going to ask you about. There was that one scene we talked about a little bit where Kate and, uh, oh, what's the other doctor's name? What, the sex scene? No, they cut <laughs> that off. No, <laughs> no they're, getting, they're getting ready to leave and... Reinhardt comes over to them. Oh, and Durant. Durant, yeah. Anthony and Perkins, then yeah. and Maximilian comes up to them to oh, stop yeah, them. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and then Reinhardt turns to Kate and says, protect me from Maximilian. Yeah. Save me from Maximilian. Yeah. I think it's protect. Protect me from Maximilian. But that's all. That's all he says. And then, of course, you know. Yeah, because the whole movie up to this, Maximilian is his servant, basically. Yeah, yeah, he does whatever Reinhardt tells him. I mean, yeah. he has... He has his own initiative. He goes a little overboard in a way. He does. And he acts on his own initiative, but he also takes orders from Max- yeah. from Reinhardt. And after that scene, he's taken orders from Reinhardt. Yeah. The only time he doesn't is when the at the end when the stuff falls on Reinhardt and Maximilian's on his way to do something else. And he says, save me, save me. He just keeps going. And Ryan, yeah, Maximilian yeah. keeps going. But that scene, now that's speculated. I was, re- I was trying to do some research and find out about that because we were both wondering about that. Because it's so odd for him to say that to yeah. him. But a couple schools of thought on it are he's bluffing. Okay. He's just trying to gain her trust real quick and get her to stay because of what just happened. Mm-hmm. Two, he really is scared of Maximilian because Maximilian is Kate's father. But that's speculation. That's we speculation. Don't, we don't know all that spe- that's all true. speculation. That he used the because you know, he made the androids from the crew. Right. So he so used parts he? And the brain patterns of Kate's father to make Maximilian, and he's afraid that he he'll turn on him. Well, that's a neat and and maybe idea. she can keep him under control. Yeah, because it's her father. Right. Well, that's an an idea. Yeah, or he's just out and out lying. I mean, yeah. <laughs> all over. So yeah. that was a couple of the ideas that people have come up with about that. Interesting. I yeah. don't know. Yeah, it, it's the one part of the movie that line where he says that to her that for me is a stumbling block. Yeah, I mean, it's very weird. if I go with the fact that he's just trying to bluff her and gain her trust, but then he's got the sentries come up and grab her, so he doesn't really need it. Need yeah. to do that. Yeah, I mean, they were right there when he said it. Yeah. So so it's kind of, eh, I don't know. It's kind yeah, of pointless. I don't know. The rest weird. of it, though, is fantastic. Like I said, everybody's good in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vincent has the best lines, and it's because Roddy's delivery of them is the best. Remember what they say, all work and no play? All sunshine makes a desert, so the Arabs say... What does he say once to, to Oh, Pizer. Yeah. Yeah, Mr. Pizer. He says, oh, great. Is uh, Vince, is your mission in life to, what does it say? To uh, torture me? To torture me? Like that. He says, no, Mr. Pizer, to educate you. They <laughs> <laughs> still haven't improved on our model. You can't modify perfection. We are the best. <laughs> That's great. Oh, Roddy. <laughs> oh, yeah. When, yeah. I first, when I first heard Vincent's voice, 
and realized it was Roddy. And then as I heard more of his dialogue in the movie, I asked Rob, did Roddy write his own material for this? (laughs) Because it just sounds like Roddy. It just sounds like his stuff, you know? Yeah. You know, I was was fortunate enough to meet Roddy McDowell. Oh, yeah? One time, yeah. I didn't even know that. How did I not know that? I've got a picture of it right here somewhere. I must have known that and forgotten. Yeah, you had. I've shown you the picture. Clayton and I, when we used to go stalk celebrities around. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Chrysler Hall... I'm sure they still do, but for you know they were getting plays and and productions coming through and different celebrities and touring companies, mm-hmm. and we'd keep an eye on that. And when there was somebody that we liked, we'd go wait by the stage door because right. we were too cheap to buy tickets to see the production. But we'd go <laughs> wait by the stage door after the play mm-hmm. or before, and wait for him to come out. And there'd be a couple other people there sometimes, and you know get autographs and get pictures. And everybody was really nice. We never had a bad experience with anybody. But we heard Roddy was going to be coming. And it was like, oh, shit. (laughs) And it was cool. I mean, you could tell it was was after the play. You could tell he was very tired. Yeah. But he he spoke to everybody, signed every autograph, took pictures with everybody until they were done. He was very pleasant. Wow. He wasn't like overly gushing or anything or fake. He was just nice. He was very nice and very pleasant and made sure, you know, made sure everybody got what they what they needed what they came there for and had yeah. the experience and it was it was fantastic i mean i was standing right there with you know cornelius wow you know and, How cool is that? and that's awesome because you know a couple years before we got to meet charlton heston so yeah that's awesome yeah very cool well i'm sure there is plenty within this movie we could discuss but i don't know what else to talk about right now you got anything else i'm about done I think that's about it. I will just say over and over again how gorgeous the movie is if we keep going. (laughs) Well, I would strongly suggest that you all watch it. If you don't have Disney Plus, I'm not real sure how you can see it. Um, You can check eBay. Oh, yeah. Well, you can get the DVD on eBay or the Blu-ray. Well, yeah, on eBay. On eBay, I guess, because there's nothing on Amazon. The DVD. You can rent it on Prime for a few dollars if you want to see it. Uh, The DVD is is pretty cheap it's under i want to say it's under 15 bucks the blu-ray is closer to 30 on or ebay more. yeah on ebay right now so you can yeah it's easy to get it okay well um, that's good and it's definitely worth a watch absolutely anytime indeed well i guess we have one thing left to do one thing left we have to play the planet of the apes game the world revolves around planet of the apes It's a fact, and I will prove it. We do this every episode, if anybody hasn't listened before. Almost every episode we do this, when Phyllis and I are doing the podcast together here, where we play this game that Clayton and I discovered many years ago, long before The Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. We discovered that you can connect anything back to the original Planet of the Apes within a few steps. Sometimes quite a few steps, but mostly it's pretty quick. (laughs) So Phyllis is going to give me somebody from this movie, and I'm going to prove that the world revolves around Planet of the Apes. I can tell you who it's not going to be. Roddy McDowell. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he's not even in the credits, so we can't use him. All right, so let's see. I'm sure we haven't used many people from this. Probably used Ernest Borgnine on something before. Let's do Robert Forrester. Robert Forrester. Yeah. Okay. Robert Forrester's first film was called Reflections in the Golden Eye. And... He was in that film with Brian Keith. Okay. Who was in The Mountain Men 
with Charlton Heston. Oh, God. <laughs> what, two steps again? <laughs> the world revolves around Planet of the Apes, I'm telling you. Well, this is very true. <laughs> I don't think you've had to go more than two or three steps in many, many episodes. Because, I mean, you know. Because the world revolves around Planet that's true. of the Apes. It does. And everybody should watch some the original Planet of the Apes films. <laughs> well, good they're job. awesome. Well, once again, you have proven the world does indeed revolve around Planet of the Apes. Good job. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. Well, that's about all I got. How about you? That's it. All right. Well, till next time. Thanks for listening. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.